everyone, thanks for listening. So this is a new podcast, it's Talking It Out About. So each time that we do one, it'll be about something slightly different. We're going to focus at the minute about um, functional neurological disorder, um, and we'll see where it takes us. Hopefully we can have a couple of people come in and join us and give us their side as well. Um, So stay tuned and see what we've got planned. Um, So last time we gave a brief kind of overview to the starts of our journey, which you hated, our our life with FND, shall we say. Um, and we'd covered seeing the first few doctors um, and how I was gradually getting worse and didn't know which way was up. Um, I think I then really started to go downhill quite quickly Um, And I have a vague memory, and it is vague, of sitting in bed because you'd put me to bed and mum was here and you two were downstairs talking and all of a sudden your phone rang and you ended up coming upstairs to me and it was the big brain doctor Mm. and he wanted to know if I knew who you were, where I was and what was going on around me or something. Mm. And that was the point where he then decided I needed to go to the unit and go quickly because of the rate I was deteriorating. Yeah. That did actually happen, didn't it? I'm not making that up. Yeah, so my... I don't know if I dreamt it. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I lose... I li- it's been only, you know, only two years, really, and almost, like, 18 months, I guess, since that sort of point. Um, but... Um, so I lose, tra- I lose track so broadly I think first month it was your walking second month it was talking mm-hmm. third month you started dissociating as we're calling it slightly but not Sli- yes yeah, slightly to, to an extent and that's where I had I think in March I had my first hospital stay because that's when the Facebook page was born whilst I was in hospital so March was I was still kind I was still with it most of the time mm. Um, I'd just done my first day in hospital. I'd met my first physio, my well, my second physio team. I'd tried hydrotherapy. They got me to do all sorts of weird and wonderful things. Um, Interesting. The one thing I always thought that would work better about uh, the hydrotherapy is I always thought hydrotherapy might work for you as someone who's done swimming if you were in a proper pool, and by that I mean one where you actually had to swim. You were in water, but you were waist deep in water. And the yeah, one, I couldn't find my feet. Yeah, the one thing I would... Yeah, is that because you were looking down? Yeah, like just, there's, a, there's a photo that I've put up on the page yeah. of that time where I literally could not find my feet. I think I spent most of the session attempting to find my feet. Yeah. And they had me try and, like... I think they had me almost playing, like... I had to try and throw a ball into a hoop whilst I was in the water, and I had to try and float and then we worked out actually I couldn't float anymore and I was mm. just sinking so I ended up like one of those kids when they first go in a pool with like arm bands on and a thing <laughs> around their waist and a thing around their ankles just to try and make them float because I couldn't float anymore yeah um but yeah I think I was expecting to get in the water and be normal because uh, I'd spent so much time in water yeah regardless how deep the water was but then I couldn't find my feet and I couldn't float it kind of backfired on us yeah, was slightly. That, so we we hadn't really worked out at that point like that how how important maybe like necessity necessity is in terms of switching your brain back on. 
So, and that's why that's I thought... That's because I hadn't been out of it yet. No, no, we, we, but yeah, although you hadn't been dissociating, the requirement... So another example, before we go on a tangent to the tangent, <laughs> was when uh, you started really struggling to walk, but we were still trying to go to the park. So the park was like 50 metres away, and it mm. would take us a long time to get there, but we would walk. So one time, was we were just about to cross the road, a car came around the corner. Now, the corner's not very far off from where we were crossing, and as soon as that car came across, we realised we just had to get across the road sort of thing. And you're walking and you suddenly like basically broke into a run um, <laughs> for like, you know, only four metres or so. But that was such a snap from where you'd been before where you literally couldn't get across. Mm. And what I took away from that, I was like, when there's this requirement that your brain just understands. Your so brain basically you're saying it. when there's a car charging at me, suddenly I can run. Yes. And I, if you didn't notice, I started trying to get us to cross the roads all the time then as like a practice thing. So just like that uh, woman we'd, we'd spoke about before who did the running, I thought, well, yours will be the, sw- <laughs> yours will be the swimming. But oh, the problem is... Not impending death. <laughs> yeah. When you, need to, when you need to, you will do it, which is what, something I've always taken away. If you need to do it, you will, which is one of the flip sides of having a too safe environment is that there needs to be a degree of... Challenge. Yeah, there needs to be a degree of challenge. There needs to be a degree, a de- degree of requirement but then, Which but, it, but but then I had this conversation with the physio at the unit mm. um, on one of our many attempts to help me remember something. I remember very, very clearly having a conversation with him in a cor- in the corridor because the way the unit was, it was all a corridor. I was in the corridor with him, and I said to him, he said to me, "I know, but it's relevant to what you just said." Oh, and he said something about how you've got to make sure that you're being challenged, and I've got to challenge myself to do. Mm more and to learn how to do the things and whatever whatever we were focusing on um and i said yeah but if you go too far you end up in the wrong zone for proximal development Mm. which is where my teacher side came out and he was like i don't know what that is so we had this conversation about how actually the zones of proximal development like you have that safe zone so like being in the house for me is my safe zone i'm comfortable i'm not challenged in any way then all then being attacked by bees being attacked is too far but crossing the road when there's maybe traffic coming is that enough of a challenge to push you forward yeah so that's what i would say to people listening is don't suddenly go out and stand in the middle of the road because you think it might work but add an element of challenge Mm. in but it's not too much that your brain then can't cope with it i think that's very important to draw that line yeah the challenge the challenge is i have to do something like i will be in in, danger you're not gonna like die (laughs) yeah but it's, it's like it can be it can be that severe but there needs to be a suitably severe response that you can take. So you can't put yourself in a position where it's dangerous and you have no response to it. Yeah. But you can put yourself in a dangerous position like being in the road as you're crossing, but you know completely how to solve that problem. Yeah. So you don't worry, like, literally, what do I do? But mm. you're in a situation whereby you're like, it's like but the, I have the skills. It's the kicking into your automatic brain. Yes. And and that was, so to go back to our original, <laughs> to go back to our original tangent, that's what I thought the swimming was. I always thought... No, that swimming in the water that's not deep enough where you have to actually swim. Because when you you would know, right, I'm going to drown if I don't swim, but I know how to swim. But they were, I think the point in hydrotherapy for me was to take the weight off. Mm. They were taking the weight off of me to see if that would help my muscles. Yes. Refire. That was the point in that hydrotherapy session. It wasn't to make me swim. It was to take the weight off. Like very much when I tried like the anti-gravity treadmill. It was to take the weight off to see if the weight was the thing that was causing my muscles to misfire. And I think that's a that is 
fundamentally that's a physio approach to fixing muscular weakness and I never believed and just like that first physio or doctor you saw who didn't believe you because he was like you're so strong mm. I never believed that there was this t- sufficient time for like muscular atrophy to happen I always no. thought there was this so I can see exactly because for 99% of a physio's patients that that requirement to lower the lower the strength requirement is there but actually for depending on how long you've had it obviously maybe for people who have had FND for a long period of time like years and those muscles have weakened they would need that they would absolutely need yeah. that step but that's what I always thought I always thought no it's just it's not the right thing because it felt like that wasn't it wasn't you just suddenly developed a muscular weakness it hadn't like it wasn't but like they a, but then it was because it, was it had been error. so quick there was yeah. no necessarily way of knowing that without doing those yes activities right. and through doing those activities we then learned alongside the physios yeah what helped and what didn't yeah no, you right should we go back to the original thing we were going to start with, which was the unit, and we've ended up talking yeah. about lots of other things. So, yeah, so, <laughs> where were we? We were so talking I about whether upstairs. that phone call was real. Yes, so, so the phone call was definitely real. Oh, I good. don't The specifics I don't really remember. I just remember him saying something like, um, do you think you'd be available in the next two weeks, or something like that. Like, now, I know there's a long waiting time for the Rosa Burden Centre, but I my understanding is that what is that people typically have sort of They've plateaued in their symptoms. At that point, you were still deteriorating what looked at a very rapid rate sort of thing. Um, Which is why I was able to go in. Yeah, and because, like, we could function... We were fortunate enough that we could function, like, financially, that we could just... I could just make time for you sort of thing. Um, That just seemed to work. So I... I, all The only thing I remember is asking, like, if 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 that's what you want to do, do you want to go in? Um, So I remember that phone call. And then the next thing I can really place is I bought a pair of headphones that I could sleep in mm, yeah. for the unit. I don't think we then discussed it. I don't remember having any real conversations about the unit. No. All I remember is I then bought headphones. And I think you turned around to mum and said, well, she's clearly preparing. She knows she's going because she's bought these headphones for it. She doesn't necessarily know why she's bought them, but she has bought these headphones and can tell me why they are useful. Mm. So I have that. That's quite interesting because that's the, that's very that would have been very early on. That would have been like an early identification that you'd you were because re- you clearly you were out of it because otherwise you would have been able to explain to us why you were getting it. Yeah. But that shows that like your brain was operating in the background, preparing yourself quite sensibly because you like to listen to stuff as I fall asleep. As you fall asleep, you didn't know like if you'd be allowed to just have it on loudspeaker or anything. Yeah. It would be a way that you could just sort of shut yourself off a little bit. Mm. Um, and it wouldn't disturb anyone else. Yeah. And could give me that time to just be. Mm. But, yeah, I remember it being that. And I remember... <laughs> I don't know if we've already covered this because I can't remember what we said in the last one. But I remember being at the top of the... I don't know if this was in the time same time frame. Mm. Being at the top of the stairs mm. or being at the bottom of the stairs and looking round the corner because I heard... What turned out to be mum upstairs or downstairs doing something, and yeah. I was—I didn't know who it was, so yes. I was peeping around the corner trying to work out what was going on because I couldn't remember who my mother was. Yeah, and that—that that must have been hard for mum to have me forget her. Yeah, but, but it was an odd. So, what do you remember? You remember doing? That? I remember peeping around the side of the stairs mm. and being really scared, mm. and then this lady appearing. 
and being like, it's okay, you're safe. And I was like, I don't know who you are and you're in my house. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. But then you were, I think I was clinging to you yeah. because I didn't know what was happening. So I was clinging to you with my head around the side of the stairs, looking whichever way it was and just being like, I have literally got no idea who this person is, but they're in my house and doing stuff. Mm. Like, I must know them. They're not just going to be in my house for no reason. Yeah. But I don't remember, like, I have very small sections of memory from that. And it doesn't... So that's, re- that's, that's, it's all, I think it's all really interesting, which is terrible. But that's, um, so <laughs> I, we, several times, I mean, that happened, that happened a dozen times. And that, I mean, that still happened, that happened two days ago. So it's not like, it was... Still going strong. <laughs> it, was, it was both a symptom and a, uh, uh, sort of, yeah, it's ongoing. So we we were often sat on the sofa together and then like maybe your mum would sit on the other sofa and we'd be chatting sort of thing and she might go upstairs and go do something. Um, and then for w- whatever the trigger is, it just switches and you don't know, you don't recall what that noise is or who should be like, you can't contextually understand that she should be upstairs. So you will hear a noise and you'll be like, what's that noise? And I'll be like, oh, it's just your mum upstairs. And you, you, I might say that to you, but you don't, um, you don't go, Mum. Okay, that's this person. That's what she looks like, and you just settle because you've you've recalibrated. You just go, I can't see that individual. They could be anyone. Mm. So you, I would like, let you, I would send you off to go investigate because <laughs> send me to the lions. <laughs> yeah, because the point is, I know it's completely safe, but for you, it's like it's it's like this development opportunity whereby although you're frightened. You still challenge yourself. You go towards the thing that frightens you, which is, I I think, one of the most important things, in my opinion, for like sorting FND, is that development of your confidence. I had a community physio. Yes, she did. She was very lovely. I've still got a number, actually. I had a community... Because mum was still here then. And I... Was that not after? No, I don't think... We're never going to get in the rose of burdens. We, no, we, we will. I'm just. I, the problem is, is as we're talking, it's jogging certain things for yeah. me. But I remember there being a physio and being really confused. And then I, we were doing something that mum was definitely here. I know mum was here. Mm. And was we that were, for one of the early appointments. I yeah, and I think there. we were outside, and she was having me do something or other. And I ended up curled up on the step in a ball. Because I was scared or something. But that's about it. I know that when I think about when I have now placed the physio, I don't remember her name. I'm sorry if you're listening. I don't remember her name. I don't remember much about her, but she was warm. Mm. That's what I can place. She was warm and she didn't. Do you mean physically or in terms of like emotionally? Yeah, personality wise. She She was was warm. She was a nice person. Yeah. The feeling I get is that she was warm. I don't know why that's the feeling I get, but that is. And when I curled up in a ball on the step, she didn't tell me off. She didn't tell me to get over myself. She didn't say I was making up or just being overly dramatic. I think she just let me be and settle mm. and then come back to it. Um, I don't know why that's jumped into my brain, but it has, like, it's just odd. It's all good, though. It's all good. All because... weird links that are coming through for me. Because what, what it also tells me is, and we didn't know this for a long period of time, is that even when you're out of it or even when you're struggling, when you're dissociated, all those memories that your dissociated state were going through is still, is still in your regular brain. So having now sort of mm. on the path of recovery sort of thing, you're able to find those associations. Now, much like if I had had that 18 months ago, I would struggle to remember it because it's not maybe nothing particularly outstanding to bring mm. it to. But when you find some little connection, the memory is still in your brain, mm. which is 
both a warning for caretakers to remember that what you say will be remembered. <laughs> so sometimes, if you lie, just to make your life a little bit easier, <laughs> it can come back to bite you. What lie did you tell me, Jack? Well, we shall wait and see, and we'll see how good your memory Something is. about gremlins or trolls or something. I'm sure it was something just to make my life generally a little bit easier. I don't particularly recall any individual circumstances. I think it was something to do with trolls and how they were going to come and eat me or something. What, if you didn't do the washing yeah. up or something like that? Yeah, I think you were. Oh, wow. you, were you went along that road and, <laughs> and mum would tell you off because I'd get scared because I wouldn't realise oh, you that were was, joking. Yeah, I remember that actually. That was funny. I don't... I don't yeah, that was good times somewhere. <laughs> You're going to have to explain that now. I just... Yeah, I think... I mean, I couldn't remember even the specific things. I just remember... Saying like, oh, you know, you've got to get up the stairs quickly, or so. Like, my if I create the incentive to hurry up the stairs, like like the road, if I create the incentive to hurry up the stairs, the problem is, is that although you've dissociated, fifty percent of your brain is dissociated and is like going, I don't know what's going on, and would believe me if I said all oh, those gremlins and they're going to get you if you don't hurry up the stairs. The problem is, is that the 50% that isn't communicating but is operating in the background knows that's not the case. But it, it can't tell the other side. No. So I, what, I, what I experience is a person who says, oh, there are gremlins, they are going to get me, but not the same response. And that's because the 50% that is still working in the background but has no way of relating to me because it's in the background knows that not to be the case. So you can't, like, trick the dissociated <clears throat> state into doing things that it no. should. It can only go through real experiences. You can't be, you can't create like false confidence or anything like so that. So what you're saying is a word of warning to anyone else listening. Don't convince your other half that there are gremlins going to eat them if they don't get up the stairs quick enough yeah, because it, it traumatises them. No, it just doesn't work. It doesn't traumatise them. That's the point. But it I also believe it did at the time. It, uh, only outwardly. Only that dissociated state. Well, and that's it, all I could access. And then you cry and need a cuddle sort of thing. But that's fine, right? <laughs> we live and learn, don't we? At the point where I could cry. Yeah. Oh, when you could cry, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you did see, um, you had a, I can't remember, like five, six sessions or something like that with um, sort of a community physician. She was lovely. I think she had some experience with FND a little bit as well. She was really tolerant. But I think the same sort of issues in that fundamentally, when you initially have FND, and unless you've had it for a long period of time, you haven't developed, you haven't actually developed what I would describe as like, symptoms that require physio treatment because it's not a muscular imbalance it's not a muscular weakness it is simply a brain mal coordination and that the physio is like it's good in the sense that it's a new activity that requires confidence and you're interacting with strangers and and you know and it's interesting and engaging for you but i don't think it's good in the sense that it's reteaching your brain i d- um i guess it depends obviously we've got a slightly different perspective because we had the dissociative side in it as well mm. there aren't many people that have the fnd and the dissociative combined so obviously yeah. from our point we're looking at it with the dissociative state tagged in as well which made up the like quite a few of our, sim- our, sim- our symptoms our symptoms i went through it as much as you honey <laughs> um so i don't know it would be interesting to know what people think who just have fnd mm. whether or not you found physio useful and what you've taken what they've done with you and what they've you've taken away from it because mm. I was made I had all sorts of funny physio sessions where I yeah. was playing games I was singing I was dancing I was throwing stuff I was catching stuff I played hockey and football and went in anti-gravity treadmills I've done quite a bit in that front but I don't know whether the dissociative state made that harder that's definitely what they said at the unit was it was a lot harder to treat me mm. because I couldn't remember what happened an hour ago yeah. or the day before so therefore in terms of the physio at the unit blessing me tried really hard with me 
but he'd give me homework and as soon as I'd leave his session I'd forget and I wouldn't do it mm. because I couldn't remember it so therefore it made it a lot more difficult whereas one of my friends who was also at the unit at the same time she had the FND but she didn't have the dissociative state and she came in in a wheelchair but left walking mm. because of the work she did with him yeah. so I think it depends on your own set of symptoms and how your brain pre- presents them as to what you can take away from things like physio yeah because actually for her it gave her back her independence, mm. which is amazing. And she's still walking pretty much to this day. I think she still has a couple of bad days, but we all do. Yeah. But actually, to this day, she is still able to walk out and not use her wheelchair as much, which mm. is fab, based on the work she did with that physio. Yeah. And well, obviously other services, but she needed the physio to help her. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing. Like, I've, I think the physios and stuff, because obviously I've spoken to them like in the background, have said, you know, it's a bit of a mixed bag, 50-50 sort of thing, whether it will help or not. But ultimately, it doesn't necessarily really matter if, even if things are unlikely to help. You should still it, try it. it. You should still try and it could help you. Like, so even if only 10%, you've got, oh, it's, you know, it's quite a, a poor sort of recovery rate using whatever the treatment might be, you could be in that 10% yeah. for whatever reason. Like, the problem is, like, placebo effect still works. So even if you know it's the placebo effect, it's still beneficial for you. So that's, I mean, that's both a good takeaway that, you know, you need to be brave and you need to try different things mm. because you never know what could help. And ultimately, do you really care? Like, what you want is a solution. And I think, like, we tried anything they suggested, even if it was just on a whim, mm. we tried. Like... You tried. Yes. You were very good. Yes. You were very good. I tried good. literally anything they decided that they thought might help I tried and if you look through the Facebook page you can see those videos of me trying those random things and you can see when it works and when it doesn't and the random stuff I ended up doing and Mm. all sorts of things but actually you know what like it helped us learn what didn't help yeah and it's not to say that you don't then come back to it and retry it it just means that at that moment in time where you are it doesn't work for right now but in five months' time, it might work again. Mm. So you've got to keep coming back to it and cycling through yeah, that openness. to knock them off and try them and test them because you don't know what when it might start go going your way and working. Yeah, that openness to treatment types. I know, like, there's an element to where it can be dangerous because you can try things that aren't perhaps scientifically founded, um, but at the same time you know, generally in the NHS, you're you're in a very safe space sort of thing. Mm. They're using tried and tested things. And if you can demonstrate this openness to trying all these things, absolutely some might not work. And absolutely some might not work right now. But you mm. don't know how your symptoms might change and what actually could become useful and in the future. And also, if you then communicate that to whoever you're working with, they can then learn from you as well. Mm. So like... Actually, as much as they're teaching you, you're teaching them, and it's that team approach. Like I, we we end up with a saying like, if you're not on my recovery train, get off. Mm. Like you've got to be able to work together to do it. So like you've got to be able to then turn around to those your physio or your speech therapist or whatever and say that's not working for me. Yeah. And then, but you can say, but it might work for someone else. And I think we've had that conversation with so many professionals now yeah. that I've come in contact with, and we said like it doesn't work for her, doesn't mean it's not going to work for someone else though Mm. so it's that actually you can learn from each other loads as long as you have that open communication with them and yes it's scary and you may look like an utter brat wandering around with balls on your head but at the end of the day if it's going to help you learn to walk 
surely it's worth it. Yeah, and if that, and I, I would, I'd be interested to know, although I don't know if it exists, I would say that sort of that passiveness or that uh, the desire not to challenge people, especially people who are, are appear to be experts and things like that, that desire to not tell your physio, actually, this doesn't work because you maybe don't want to alienate them or something. That's actually a trait that might be indicative of why you or has has helped you get the FND in the first place. And that by practicing that skill of confidence and, you know, telling this medical professional, because at the end of the day, like if you pictured yourself as the doctor, you want to get this person better, don't you? You're not just like there to talk for fun. You actually want this person to improve. Well, you'd like to think. Yeah, you'd like to think. <laughs> Unless they're like shipmen or something like that, where they're not really improving. But the the point is, is that that medical professional in almost all instances, they do want you to be better. Yeah. Because even if, let's say, even if you're a big pain in the ass, they still want you to be better because then you'd leave. Yeah. So that medical professional wants you to tell them the things that work. And if you th- you might initially think, oh, well, I'll just agree to basically everything they say because they know what they're talking about and I don't. But actually, if you're recognising you're not getting uh, the, the sort of response you want from a treatment, it's to your and their benefit so that you can say, actually, this doesn't really work. Mm. Now, your lack of sort of confidence of saying, oh, well, I'll just, I'll do it for a while and then maybe I'll just, I'll ignore it. It is awkward though. Yes, I can imagine it's but very I, th- I think the the thing that helped me was I lost my filter. Mm. So it meant I didn't really give a monkey's if I told someone that it wasn't helping me because I didn't filter it. It just kind of came out. I definitely think we should talk about that as well. But, yeah, but we're meant to, we're going to talk about a lot of things. So, yeah. But my lack of filter, I think, helped because it meant I didn't feel that anxiety of, oh, I might hurt their feelings. Granted, I probably did hurt someone's feelings at some point, but equally it helped me get the right treatment and make it happen. So just describe briefly for people, what what do you mean when you say you lost your filter? As in... And, like, when, and, and when do you, rem- do you remember it like that happening? No, I don't, remember, time, I don't or? remember it happening. I remember being told by a couple of my friends mm. who said I needed to be careful because I don't filter what I say. Mm. And I just end up spewing stuff. It's not that? that I spew secrets. If you tell me something in a secret and you say, this is not to be told to anyone, that's it, it's locked in, I almost forget it and it's put in my weird vault of dissociative and it never comes back out. But Until, in... until two years later when you just random, <laughs> randomly remember it. No, 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 it's fine because I have, it's locked and I've got control of that lock. Yeah. Whereas other things, I think the way I'm feeling or if someone does something, I'm like more likely to call them on it and say, actually, no. So that I remember there was a point where someone had done something and I wasn't happy with it. And I'm sure I just went, that's not okay. And that was it. And it didn't fill me with anxiety or anything like that. And it would just, I would literally just spew whatever came into my head. Although I'd lost the ability to think and hear my own thoughts, it just kind of came out. And then it would be like, oh, probably shouldn't have said that. And how did that make you feel? Like, how did you... I don't remember it. No, I mean, like, now, though. So, looking back... I how... feel bad if I ever offended someone. Like, that's that's not good. But equally, if it if it made a situation better, then maybe it was what was needed. Yeah. It gave me the dissociative state, the lack of being able to think, the lack of filter, gave me the confidence to be like, actually, no. So, what I remember from it was, was when you first started to dissociate, you would feel... You'd say just whatever. Obviously, you're in your dissociated, you're in your dissociated state, and you sort of say whatever's going on. Now, that's because I, I think I was trying to understand what was happening. Yes, and we and we had to a lot of times. We did have to talk through your thinking so that 
We still do that. Yeah, we still, we, we still <laughs> that do that. That still happens. That's what's happening now. Like, yeah. You're just talking through my brain. <laughs> but I guess where... Oh my God, so many tangents. I guess where um, the talking aloud goes is that I feel for me, I can have conversations with myself in my brain and help me myself understand my own thoughts so that I can set them in clear priorities and that way, if ever something happens, I just quickly go to that list and I'm just like, this is the priority. And I just, that's it. And yeah, I just take that away. Now, I think what, what's happening, though, is that you're learning to do that because it's so good. You setting your own priorities is so good for your ability to just go, that's right or that's wrong. And you don't need to, you don't need to overanalyze it, which mm-hmm. can paralyze you into inaction. You can just go, here are my priorities. This is priority three. That outranks priority six. Done. It is irrelevant. And what that, what that does then is that it just speeds up your life and generally makes you happier. But I think also I, something has... I think my lack of filter meant I said some crude comments when I shouldn't have. Yes, but you it's... never said anything wrong, which I think is important. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. But I think that's... I'm trying, to, I'm trying to place it, and I think my friends have called me on it a couple of times and said that was a little bit too... For the situation we were in... Mm. That was a little bit too crude. I would say for an average person who's like perfectly well nuanced in like social dynamics, yes, maybe in that instance it was. But actually my experience was you never said anything that wasn't true. You are always honest. You never, oh, that's good. You never lied about things. You weren't saying... That's because I could never keep track of the lies. Well, so there was literally no point in lying because I could <laughs> never keep track honest. of them. If I was honest, at least whatever state I was in, it would stay true. If I yeah. lied and I went into a different state... I'd have no hope of keeping that lie up. No. At but, all. <laughs> but it wasn't... The point is that it's, it was never malicious. No. The point is no, no, your no. honesty, it, although it might have been harsh, and maybe in a regular society, we would try to taper that because of social dynamics, mm. you were always honest and you were never unfair. Now, you might have said things that people wouldn't like to hear. You might have said things quickly in a way that you could have subtly broached it but you never said anything wrong i just had a really quick wit for a while you do you still have that quick wit. that's the problem <laughs> it's, it's just really on it i can't oh i clicked oh that's amazing um I, just for those that don't know i lost the ability to click i've just clicked and that's quite a feat for me yeah. um it's talking man things. be proud i have just clicked i've clicked twice for you don't have to test me next time i see you he will test you but yeah, he probably will but like yeah the um the whole the whole point of that though is that i never told you off from what I could recall and I made a point to do it of never telling you off for being honest because for me I was like you're realizing now like that is what confidence is saying what you think is important to achieve an effect that would make somebody happier like like you said someone Mm. said something you didn't like you told them you you pushed aside the anxiety you got rid of that I didn't feel any anxiety because I wasn't aware of it (laughs) but you you got rid of the filter and what I noticed is that you were happier without that filter. Much like I do a thing where I say, oh, every time something good happens, I say, oh, I'm so lucky. And that people... It's really irritating. Yeah, and people just go, it does seem to just generally go your sort of way because I identify situations as this same thing over and over again. Likewise, you have identified lots of times now and you use it as well. And I have no issue with that. You say, oh, it's my FND. It gives me no filter. I view that as you choosing to have no filter using the FND as an excuse, because actually, you recognise life is much better without that filter. Um, oh, you might not consciously think it. No, I think I it's, a, <laughs> no it's not. I think it's not it's, a conscious thought but process. But I think it's, it's learned, because you're happier with it. What you've learned and is you it makes you... could be correct, but I don't know that. 
No. And I I don't want people to think I'm using it as an excuse to be no, rude. I don't think you're using it as an excuse. No. I think much like any learned behaviour. I'm just behavior, not aware of it. Yeah, you recognise it works though. There have been situations whereby, oh, you know, somebody's done something to annoy you and you could just let it go. But actually, you've you've gone, oh, I've no filter. Yeah, and maybe. you've challenged them. Maybe. And actually, it's improved your life. I feel really awkward in this bit. Can we move on to a different section So now? why do you feel awkward? No, no, no. We're meant to be talking about the unit. Can we okay. come back to yeah, that? Yes, because we we've can. tangented completely. Well, we've done we need to go back 32 to the minutes on not getting to the unit. Yes. So hang on. So let's just try and go back through the things we're talking about. I think <laughs> the filter... Is good. I think the lack of filter is really helpful for you. Okay. And I've always supported you because I just want you to be honest. And I think you enjoy that and that works. So okay. if people are looking for something that works, being honest and just having no filter definitely worked. What were we it wasn't the... a planned decision, though, that one. Just going to point that out. No, it wasn't. That but one. that's, that's yeah, I think, just, like, just by the by, another method that helped you. Um, what were we on before the filter? The physios stuff. Physios. The physios. You've just got to give it a go. Yeah. You've got to try it. And we would be interesting to hear from others and your experience with the physio. So send us a message on Facebook of Life with FND on Twitter or send us an email. Like, let us know what you you found from your own physio experience because we are only talking about our experiences and we'd be intrigued to know mm. what other people tried and then we can share it with the FND community and hopefully help someone. And I would be, firstly, really impressed. That, like, like little plug of the name stuff. <laughs> That was so smooth. Like, we never discussed that. That's like someone who's like, you know when people, you, you hear of kids who like do the like, good night and like, you know, and don't forget to like and subscribe and like they're just, it's so fluid sort of thing. That was like that. Second point, I would be really interested actually if people can think of any circumstances where they have been put in what, uh, uh, basically they've been required to do action, like Xena crossing the road. I would be really interested to know if there have been other... Um, circumstances whereby you've been forced into action and like your brain but you basically don't have the choice and your brain does it so i'd be interested in that okay so let us know your thoughts and we will discuss it probably in the next one and mm. forget what we're going to actually talk about so um to the unit we had the phone call and then it was what two three weeks two weeks i'd yeah. bought the headphones this was may i think now we're in may no we're in april i think i went to the unit in at the start of may yeah so we're in April leading up to, because that was the first time I saw Talking Man. I think we covered it in the last one. That was the first time I saw Talking Man was like three days before I was admitted into the unit. Yeah, to establish and, the baseline. And I was petrified that he was going to encourage them to put me in a straitjacket. Mm. I don't know where that had come from, though. I like, don't know. Is that like, is, have you seen that in some sort of reference or something like that? Because I no one ever mentioned that. They never mentioned like... You know, a psychiatric hospital or anything. No, but I like think that. I think that the the fear, obviously, I wasn't with it anyway. I think that fear of the unknown, and I was going in to see a psychologist, and that unknown factor. I was like, oh my god, like he's going to put me in straitjacket, mm. and that's why I think I couldn't look at him, I couldn't talk to him because I didn't want to give him any reason to encourage them to put me in a straitjacket. So what I did was I shut down emotionally, <laughs> refused to talk to him, turned away uh, and gave him nothing. And he and just thought, you know what? And I just work. continued to do a word search. Yes, you did. But that was your first time meeting him, yes. actually. And, that was, and that's quite, I think that's pretty normal and to be and natural. fair, like, I kept, I had that, that word, the word search habit that I had was consistent throughout. Mm. Like, when I first then went into the unit, I just sat and did word search. Yeah. Like, 
that I word searched at dinner, I word searched at breakfast, I just had it with me because that was my form of comfort. Like I was I, on it's my a way own. of taking yourself out, isn't it? Yeah. It gave me that sense of control over what I was doing. So yeah. we went into the unit and I think I just cried. <laughs> I think I just cried and I didn't want you to leave. So what did you know about the Rosebud Centre before we got there? I think I'd reached out and asked people on like one of the FND pages on Facebook and said like, has anyone been like, what's the, like, what's the sleeping arrangement? Like, what mm. does it look like? Because I couldn't, I couldn't find anything online. So I wanted to know what I was going into. I wanted to know like, did I have my own room? Was I sharing? Like, was it like student living where you just kind of did what you wanted, but there were people there? Like, mm. what was the, what was the, what was it like basically? Um, and some somebody reached out and told me about it, and that I think helped. But what did they say? They just said like, so you have your own room. Um, it's not a lockable room, but you have your own room. There are bathrooms that you share. It's in like a, um, almost like a triangle kind of shape, and it's all one corridor that goes all the way around. So you have full access to the whole of the unit. Yeah. Um, you see the physio, you see the psychiatrist, you see people throughout the day. Um, there are nurses there, they run activities, you have like, um, almost like a, I can't remember what they called it, but I want to say it's kind of like a mentor and they're your one-to-one and they do weekly check-ins with you because you're there for three weeks. So they come and check in with you and make sure that everything's okay outside of all the extra support that you're then given. Um, so the only thing I knew about it was, I, I would say, what was on the NHS website, which I think was just like... Very little. Yeah, very little. Roseburn Centre, it's a specialist place for FND. And I was, in my mind at that it's point... It's not just for FND, though. It's for, like, Parkinson's and sleep studies and stuff yeah. like that. Where the predominant... Neurological... Yeah, it's predominantly activity. patients with FND. Yeah. But there are other people there. So there's 12 beds there. Okay. So you are in with 12... There's 12 of you, and you are the 12 patients, and... um. Yeah, so it's all, it isn't as bad as you think it's going to be. I think I was, because I was the state I was in, I just, it was so scary. Mm. I felt scared in my own home, let alone in a different place, three hours away from you, without the dogs. Yeah. I had none of my own comfort that I'd got used to having. Yeah. Um, and when we, when I dropped you off, you were properly scared. You were like... You were just crying. You were just like, in your mind... You were abandoning me. I was abandoning you. This was going to be a bad time. And I was like, in my mind, I just had to be like, no, I've got to be strong. Like, this is the best place for you. I think if you hadn't dissociated, you'd be able to internalise it a lot better. And you'd be like, yeah, okay, like rubbish, I'm not at home sort of thing. But you would see it as a place of recovery. Yes. Because you couldn't, you were just like, don't leave me sort of thing. I thought you were literally, that was it, that was me then. I thought you were just going to leave me there. It was going to be rat, less ratchet, and that was like it. that's. But that's that's, yeah, that's that was my felt. fear. Like yeah. I thought you were just going to put me there and then leave me, and that was that. And I'd never see you or the dogs again. If it helped, it was really hard to leave you. Oh, good. Because you glad. were like all sad and teary and stuff like that. Because I didn't understand what was going on. Yeah, and I was just like, I like you know, it's scary because obviously, like you partly become like a child to me in the sense that like because you acted when you're dissociating, you're acting like a child. Like, you get all possessive, and I'm like, oh, I get all possessive, and I'm like, I need to keep her safe sort of thing. And nobody looks after your possessions like you do, mm. because they're yours sort of thing. But you just have to trust the system. Yeah. Um, and I I know that... I remember sitting on the bed when you left, and I just cried. <laughs> and then I think I was like, 
it was lunchtime or something, so I had to leave the room and I had like a plain chicken breast because I had food allergies. So I had like a plain chicken breast and then three roast potatoes and then some peas or something. And I was like, this is, this is rubbish. And I think if you look back through my Facebook of those first few days when I was there, it was all very much, I don't want to be here. Um, people come visit me. Like I'm on my own. Like I don't like it, mm. that sort of thing. And it's really hard for me to read back through it because my memories looking back now are all very positive ones. Mm. But in that time, because I was in such a bad state, I couldn't see it other than it was bad and it was scary and I shouldn't be there. Yeah. So I think it took me it took me a while to settle into it. And then it took me and my trusty word search. We went out into like the common room and that's where I met but why, my friends. So, so why did you make that decision? What was it? That I think moved? I was forced to make that decision. Okay. I think one of the nurses came in and said, like, come on, out you come. Yeah. Because I think they know. I don't know if they'd any ever dealt with someone with the dissociative state and FND, but I think they knew that the best thing for me was to come out of my room yeah. and actually be in the setting and kind of get used to it. Mm. Um, so I think one of the... I think it might have been... One of the male nurses, he came in and he was like, right, out you come. And he kind of like dragged me off and he had a very good sense of humour. So yeah. he, he broached it as like, if you don't come out, I will push you out in your wheelchair and you are coming out this room sort of thing. And he made sort of light of it and that kind of helped yeah. settle it for me. Um, and then I sat at one of the tables and just had my head down in a word search and didn't really want to talk to anyone. And then my lovely friend was sat next to me doing something else or whatever and we hadn't really and we just kind of give each other like glances like oh oh shall we <laughs> shall we make friends sort of thing and then that was like and then it was really hard because they didn't know my name and that friend ended up knowing more about me than anyone else did because I didn't know my name I didn't know who I was I didn't know my date of birth I didn't know anything about me where I was from anything mm. so she learned it all I don't know how she learned it all some sort of magical power she learned or I don't know whether you'd spoken to her or she'd don't know how she did it but she did she learned all about me and then when anyone new came in she was my she introduced me to people mm. she was my bridge over so that people knew who I was what I needed but when I couldn't find the information I needed she filled in that gap for me mm. so she was the one that enabled me then to make friends with people because she'd introduce me and like drag me along with her and be like right we're going this way and I'm like okay <laughs> I uh that's so one thing I've been I've been thinking about is like the idea of sort of your in in your mind where your safe space is because obviously one of the things that uh, you know you've responded to a lot is like feelings of comfort and safety and security mm. and it's I sometimes think like you, in reality we're pushing against an open door but actually in your minds we all think there's much more danger than there is so as the, the example in the Rose Burden Center is that you're in your room and you've been in this room. So initially, you were like, this whole space is dangerous to me. Yeah. After a day, you sort of felt like this room was, you'd sort of taken possession of it. You'd included that room in your, mentally, you're like your little Along bubble. With, with the seat in the common room that was mine, and then the seat in the bed. Yeah. You kind of gadget. Like when you, you get on a bus, you have a habit. You either go to the back of the bus or the yeah. middle or the front. and You go to this you, you familiar your, space. Yeah. And then you think, oh, this other space I haven't occupied yet is dangerous. You must assume it's owned by somebody else. Um, and also you can't yet possess mm. it. And then when you realise, once someone challenges you and says, you're going to do it, you occupy that space, and, and people actually allow you to occupy the space as well. You think other people own it, but actually 
as you increase the amount of space that you occupy, you know, whether that's physically or in terms of like mentally, if you know, it's the same with talking. If yeah. you're the one talking in the room, you occupy this space. And the more space you occupy, the stronger and more confident you feel. Because actually you realise that I'm not just safe when I'm on the sofa. Actually, I'm safe when I'm in this this room. And then I'm safe when I'm in this house. Yeah, and I then, think like... It's like when you go anywhere, especially if you're um, you're going in and it's a hospital environment. Mm. Like hospitals, unfortunately, aren't warm, cozy places. No. They're not there for you to get comfortable in, so it makes it more difficult. But I think as the time went on and you'd come visit me, and it, I became more settled within it. And you, ha- so the first weekend you're there, you can't leave the unit. The second weekend you're allowed to go home. And then obviously the third weekend you are, that's it, you're done, you're at the yeah. end of the programme. And myself and my friend were like, maybe we shouldn't go home in that middle one because we'll just have to start the settling process all over again. Yeah. And for me, I was very aware that I, I was starting to feel the norm of being there and I didn't want to rock that and mm. lose that sense and have to start again. Um, but I think going home, that was the right decision. And I think if you're in the unit and you're considering not going home, you really should, if you can, like, that's worth doing, so that you get to use some things, and then you go back to them, and then you can talk through what happened at home and find other things to help. Yeah. And I think that's important. But, yeah, it's scary just going into anything, but I think when you're not aware of what's happening and which way is up, it's, it adds an extra element of scary. Yeah, and that, I mean, that place, like blew my mind sort of thing because obviously one thing you've always been good at is texting so mm. even when you were dissociating if i would get a text i would get a text you know like you can once you're familiar with texting you know as opposed to maybe older very older people aren't you're you know what like you type you text in a certain way like i know i, I text in a different way i know that when i'm further down the out of its scale i drop words yes you do but you still, you will still... It still makes sense. I just yeah. drop, like... You maintain a lot more, the, though. The, or the A. <laughs> yeah. You maintain more in your texting state than you do in your personal state. If I ask you a question and you're really tired, I might get one-word answers or I might get no noise. But if you text me, I get much more. Yeah. It's like the brain processes that information Which is a question I've often got asked about my page, is how come you're that bad, but you're able to communicate so well? Yeah. And that's because I think it, it's, it. I don't know why, but it's just a different state for me. Yeah. And I just can. That's why my posts, but even if I'm bad, I might schedule a post. So I don't always write the post there and then. It all might be scheduled a week in advance when yeah. I'm doing well or that sort of thing. So it's not always done in the moment. It, I do it so that I've got time to read it or check over it or whatever it might be. It's not... And I don't always remember posting either, which is the other most fun of trick. The, most of the times you don't. You will no. often say, oh, I posted something. And then I'll be like, like you, we have, we wouldn't have discussed it at all. You'd have done it like ninety nine percent. You do completely off your own back, and I've never even heard anything about sort of thing. <laughs> but you will all often be surprised. Oh, apparently I posted something sort yeah. of thing. Um, but that goes to show, like it's operating in the background. It's some mm. part of your brain is is functioning and doing that normal processing that you're not aware of, and it can't communicate that out. But yeah. it's still doing it. Um, but I mean, yeah. So the first time, so because you're basically your texting hadn't really changed. I had no idea what to expect. So on that second weekend when I came to pick you up, um, I walked in and you were sat talking to a friend. Um, And you were completely better. 
As in you, so in that two week period of time, I had left you where you had no idea what was going on, no idea who you were, you couldn't talk properly, you couldn't walk properly. I came in from behind you, and you were talking to your friend, and you were just, and like you were, I remember you were giving her advice as to like, you should stand up for yourself. You know, <laughs> you, what you need to do is you need to put yourself first. Like, stop devaluing yourself. You've got so much to offer, sort of thing. And I was like, bloody hell, listen to your own goddamn advice, sort of thing. Um, and yeah, but the I, the takeaway was, I was like, I don't know what this place has done, but she's better. Because <laughs> like, like, this is the first time you'd been, I wasn't there. It wasn't like we'd we'd coached you back into a good place with certain conversations we'd had. You were just talking away, sort of thing. And I was like, it's literally fixed you in two weeks sort of thing because that was just my initial impression. And like, you know, I said, I don't really remember much. I think maybe you gave me a bit of a tour tour afterwards or something like that um, before we left. But when you give advice to help other people, you are always, almost always fine. Like there's some part of your brain that's like this necessity thing, like crossing the road. When you help other people, you kick back in you function better and you know all the right things to say everything that i have always said to you <laughs> or that a doctor has said to you like you know just just trust in yourself sort of thing like you've got so much to offer everyone loves you sort of thing like this the feelings you have internally and you say those things back to everyone else and i'm like just listen to yourself <laughs> speak like your your own motivational speaker sort of thing um so yeah so like we, we grabbed your stuff and you were like pretty good and like fine like your walking was as a bit iffy as we were leaving sort of thing but still better like we weren't in the wheelchair i don't think or something like that maybe just because you were maybe a bit fatigued or whatever um and then you started dropping off afterwards. <laughs> and I was like, what the... Like, you're, you're supposed to maintain it sort of thing. Because I, uh, I had no reference points. My reference points were, mm. you were like, I, tr- I specifically tried to not communicate to you too often when you were in. Because I wanted you not to be able to refer to external safety nets. I wanted you to be like, I'm immersed. I have to, I yeah. have to fix this problem. Not rely on these external things which yeah. is really difficult because i wanted to talk to you and stuff but oh that's good it's good so, that yeah. you love me enough that you want to talk to me man i was just here i was eating biscuits <laughs> there was no covid or anything so i was just doing whatever i wanted all day in my pants sort of thing but, yeah. <laughs> sorry for that image guys that was not what you needed <laughs> um but yeah so like that was i mean that was like that told me like that showed me like there's recovery mm-hmm. and that showed me there's a place where you can do something, I don't necessarily know what it is, but I knew that there was recovery. And I think there's, so I'm very aware that we're running out of time for this particular one. There's lots more that we can talk about to do with the unit. I realise that we started uh, with 20 minutes to go sort of thing, but there's loads more that we can cover on that unit. And if you have questions about the unit, feel free to send them in and we'll try and answer them because I've obviously been in there, Mm. but you know the side of what happens outside of the parts I don't remember so you know reach out if you've been in or you're going in and you've got questions ask away and we'll try next time to actually cover more of it and not go on many many tangents to I think we'll, we'll always go on tangents that's because you can't help yourself that's <laughs> why I think there's just so much to talk about I think it just fires stuff in my brain as well mm. and I end up finding links that I've not found before and therefore I because I still can't necessarily think about it it the only way I can do it is to talk about it. So mm. it's both our faults. We'll just try and be better next time and make sure that we don't do that. Mm. But that's I, fine. I don't know as a, uh, I don't know like necessarily what uh, what a carer could do to help uh, 
you know, their partner or child or whatever with the Rose Benton Centre. It's just a case of it's something different. I think it's a, just another place where you can learn more. Um, for some people, that's that's the bit they need, and they will get the the sort of the intense the intense care from that place, and that will be sufficient. But for other people, like I said, the main thing I took away from it is that realization that it's not like I knew as a result of that, that it wasn't like a stroke where it had happened. This, there was this damage now and it, there was no recovery because I had seen it. Even if you could only glimpse back into it, mm. I knew that you had the ability to function at that level. And for me, I was like, right, there's that no, was the, there's the no stopping now because I know that we, you can get back at that place if you, if you need to, if the circumstances are right. Mm. So what can we do to create those circumstances? And you're very good just because you're just stubbornly keep pushing on things. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that was, uh, I think, you know, the Rosewood Centre was, was just, was just really good because obviously it's a, it's the place. It's not for, for you anyway, it's not the, um, the end state because I think the psychological side and the approach to life, like, is, is the main thing but it gives you that space, doesn't it? I think you had that freedom to kick away a lot of the You didn't have to think about the shopping, yeah. about the bills, about the dogs, about anything yeah. you could just be you could just focus on the things that mattered and that was like am i going to say hello to people am mm. i going to go talk here what am i going to do am i going to have an air hockey tournament which we did numerous times and it was vicious but it was fun did you win um probably, probably. i mean i don't remember but i'm i'm sure the people that were in that will listen to this will be like she didn't win she was once. not good <laughs> she at was one point rubbish. she was eating one of the pucks I, I think at one point i decided to put all the pucks on the table and then there was some sort of puck fight about how they shouldn't all be on the table and you could only play air hockey with one puck not six but i was having a great time and i don't remember it so i'm going to go with that just persevere i just persevered and just threw them off the table at people so it's fine victory but, <laughs> exactly but we'll go into some of that next time so hopefully it helps remember to let us know your experiences with physio or if you're going into the unit or if you've got any questions we will attempt to answer them in the session and not mm. run if out of time if you want me to go off on any more tangents please let me know because <laughs> i absolutely love it so. <laughs> so thanks for listening and we'll speak to you next time episode of talking it out about feel free to reach out to us we are on facebook on under the name life with fmd on twitter as well or if you want to send us an email it's living with fmd at hotmail.com hopefully we'll see you guys next time mm-hmm.